Welcome to Grow Your Dental Practice Podcast. I am your host, Mohammed Ismail. I am a cloud accounting expert and a business advisor to dental and medical professionals. My firm, Shift Accounting, has helped our clients reach their financial goals. How do we do this? We offer intuitive solutions through bookkeeping services and business consultancy. Our monthly management reports provide valuable financial insights. These insights can help you improve your profitability and help you achieve your goals sooner. Our goal for the Grow Your Dental Practice podcast is to provide you with valuable resources to help you build, manage, and grow your dental practice. I interview experts in a variety of areas, whether you're just thinking about starting your own dental practice or you're already well on your way. There is something for everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. It is great to have you all join us for this brand new episode. On the podcast today, we have Dr. Amrish Khanna joining us to speak about the resiliency in the dental industry. Dr. Khanna is a University of Alberta alumni and has been practicing dentistry for nearly 15 years. He leads with his core values of inspire, influence, educate. By not only working as an experienced dental clinician, but also as an innovator and educator. Giving back is also at the core value of Dr. Khanna. He is the founder of the Shine Dental Clinic in Edmonton, a fully student-run clinic treating inner-city youth weekly. While running a scholarship at the University of Alberta under the same name, he has also founded Cause to Smile, a philanthropic organization focused around a simple mission, to do good beyond the walls of the clinic and leave a positive impact on our larger communities. We are so excited to have you join us today to speak to us more about the work you do and why resiliency is profoundly important in this profession. Hey, Mohammed, uh, thanks so much for having me on your podcast today. I'm really excited to be here and uh, excited for uh, chatting with you today. That's awesome. The, the journey of an entrepreneur is a wild roller coaster. It's full of ups and downs, excitements, lots of worry, sleepless nights. The journey is also a self-discovery and a personal growth. You had your fair share of obstacles as you're starting out as a dentalpreneur. You are the co-founder of two dental clinics and the founder of an exciting technology startup. You also have a coaching and mentoring program, uh, you, and you still have time to lead a charity. Amrish, where does this drive come from? I know we, we always joke about I don't get enough sleep. <laughs> so that's what keeps me going and feeling. No, but I, I mean, I, I love what I do. I, I love being a dentist. Uh, I love learning and um, just finding ways to constantly give back. And I think um, being able to, to give back to the community, give back to colleagues and help them improve what they're doing within their businesses and their themselves as clinician is, I think, re what really fuels me because, you know, I... I I feel like there's multiple little buckets that, you know, provide the fuel to keep us going and keep us going through the difficult times. Like, you know, a lot of us have gone through a really um, challenging time over the past year. So it's finding those those things that help to to lift you up and, and keep you going so that you don't get stuck in just one little silo, I think is what it is. So 
that's what that's where I, I I keep embarking on all these different things because uh, though it makes my life busier, um, I do find it makes my life a lot more fulfilling and exciting at, at the same time too. You know, uh, Amrisha, I, uh, I I know COVID was really hard time for everybody, but I think for you, you kind of went through uh, you know kind of disasters before, right? <laughs> so. So tell me, tell me about the journey. Tell me about you know when you started uh, with the new office. What happened then? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been practicing uh, in Calgary now since 2008. So graduated 2007 from University of Alberta. I did a general practice residency out at the Montefiore Medical Center, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, in New York. Came back here in 2008. So worked as an associate for about five years, and in 2012 we came across our first opportunity to be able to embark on on practice ownership. So Jumped on that opportunity with my brother and my wife. So my brother Vic and my wife Anuja, both are dentists as well too. And we said, hey, it's uh, time to just start that entrepreneurial journey and uh, see what we, we've learned so far. And it was it was cool coming uh, that the three of us had all worked at different practices and had great mentors and had learned lots of different things. So we bought our first clinic uh, from a retiring dentist in Mission uh, in Calgary here. And um, yeah, we, we jumped in uh, head and feet first. And um, about a year later, uh, our practice got hit uh, pretty bad with the flood that hit Calgary in 2013. So that was the, the first uh, big challenge, I should say, that, we, we, that hit us. So um, our practice is a, a couple steps uh, subground. And we were about, you know, a half a block away from the overland flooding, but the storm sewers backed up, flooded the whole first floor of the building. And we were in there trying to scoop and shovel water out and sandbags and the whole thing and trying to see, we just, uh, young dentists sunk a lot of money into opening our first clinic and watching it get flooded away. So that was a, a very challenging, pivotal moment, I think, in our life for sure, because it started the next whole year for us from 2013 to 2014, where we had to really roll up our sleeves and learn a lot more about um, running a business than probably many dentists ever have to learn about in their entire practicing careers. So what, what was going through your mind as, you know, like I'm just picturing this, you know, buying a practice is expensive. It's, uh, it's your baby. And now it's, it's disaster. What, what was going through your mind? Like how, how are you navigating that? At the time, I mean, it was extremely stressful because you had no idea. You're thrown into uncertainty at its max, right? Like you had no idea what was going to happen. You know, what did this mean? I mean, our practice wasn't, you know, filled to the brim with water, but, you know, we had an, enough, you know, a couple feet of water enough that with all the, you know, stuff that was in the water and everything that we knew, okay, this is going to put us out for a little while and we just didn't know at the time like how long are we talking about and then as everything started to materialize even within the city and understanding you know all the remediation and things that are required around dealing with water and issues with water and so on all of this um, you know we started to have to try to slowly figure things out so our first thing that I think we really jumped into was, okay, we need to find a way to keep taking care of our patients and we need to keep the practice going one way or another, because we can't just shut our doors completely and just, you know, be non-existent because that is our livelihood. And, you know, we need to ensure our patients needs are taken care of. And at the same note, we don't want them leaving and just going and finding another practice and thinking we're not around. So 
we um, found a way to remotely move our server around from diff to different colleagues' practices where they would give us a day or two a week to try to use a dental chair and, and just say, hey, okay, we moved our whole team and they'd give us a small office where our admin would be on the phone calling patients and rejigging the schedule and, and all that. But then as the time went on, then you started realizing, okay, this is going to be longer than we thought it's going to be. So then going through the, the steps of remediation and all that, then it became like, okay, this is not going to be a month or two that we're out and we're back into the practice again. This is going to be a long haul. And that, that long haul turned out to be almost, you know, 10 months. Like, so we, so we, um, we were officially out of a formal location to practice for about two and a half months from when it happened in June till about end of August. And um, at that point, again, just, you know, putting the, our minds together, the three of us to figure out, well, what are we going to do to keep this place going? So we set up a temporary clinic in a building that was about a block uh, just across the road from our current space. And at that point, we knew, okay, we're going to rebuild this practice. Well, we need somewhere to, you know, put a few chairs down and then just get working so we could keep moving. And because of the location that we were in, I mean, our patients as a majority were quite understanding because, you know, unfortunately a lot of them had been affected by the flood in some way or another as well too. So the community, they really saw and they understood and they knew that if they're running around here and there that, you know, we were doing the best we could and, and just making sure they were taken care of. So temporary clinic kicked off in September. And um, I always say, I guess, what is that saying? They say bad things come in threes. So we, we had the flood on, of the office, the condos that myself and Anuja and then my brother live a block from us at the time, our condo buildings also were flooded and got evacuated. So we had two. So we were like, okay, so something could happen. So there was a call one day in September, only weeks after we set this temporary clinic up, getting a call early one morning from our admin saying, um, there's water like pouring into the clinic right now. And we were on the eighth floor of a building. So we're just like, how would, how, what is going on? And it turned out there was a dental clinic a couple floors above it that one of the pipes burst and flooded directly down three floors down and into our new space. So we had put down this laminate flooring over a carpet and everything. So we had to go back in there, rip it out, cut drywall again, do the whole thing. So after that, we're like, nobody tell us anything about water <laughs> problems ever again. <laughs> You, you know, uh, Amrish, going through this experience, I mean, honestly, it's a few years, you know, back and, and I'm, sh I'm sure you guys are recovered and, you know, and then you get COVID, okay? Do, do you think, you know, COVID was absolutely stressful, you know, for everybody? You know, did you feel like I got this? You know, I've, I've been through a lot of scenarios where I have to shut down my clinic multiple times, Okay. Now we have to shut down again because of COVID. D did you feel like you're a little bit more comfortable? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And in, in some sense, for sure. I mean, they were under completely different circumstances, of course, right? Um, but the um, just the little things about like, what do you do to make sure you capture your schedule? And because you know that there's going to be accounting needs that are required to look back retroactively, insurance, all these different things. And how to stop and rebook and where do you go? Like we were able to, I think, pivot fairly quickly. Um, when it all happened last year, <clears throat> that would have been, you know, 
yeah, like 13 years into practice for me almost. And I, I always said at the time that I don't, I want to take this as a moment to be different because I don't want this closure to be the same as what happened the previous time. And I think, um, you know, again, the circumstances around the fact that we were collectively as a, as a entire world affected by this, there was some degree of more understanding around it. Whereas, you know, the first time around, um, you know, our local community understood what we were going through, but the world was going on normally around us. So people didn't really get it, like to the extent of like what happens when your life is flipped upside down in that way. Right. So the big thing for me, like, I think from an operational perspective, we were able to pivot and move fairly quickly. But I, one thing that I'd say, that, you know, brings us, I think, into the topic of, you know, what you had, uh, you know, posed for today as resiliency was that, like, how do I make this shutdown look differently for myself and my family and those that I love and people around me in a different way than it happened the first time? Because the first uh, closure, I think, was really about survival. And I think that's what a lot of us and especially colleagues in the dental world that you know i understand and know what they were going through the best because i was right in it there with them it was about survival it's like what do you do right like tomorrow and we didn't have to worry so much so about patients not understanding because they were also sitting at home and everybody was shut down and, <laughs> and you know closed right but we still had to deal with emergencies we still had to manage the staff and and that was even the first time it's like you know you have this business that has been shut down but how do you, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in your own headspace around like the uncertainty and the stress and what's going on inside you. But then as a leader of your business too, you have to say, hey, there's, you have all these other people that are looking to you specifically for, to know that things are going to be okay. Right. And, um, and, and how do you find that balance between making sure that they're okay, but also not not taking responsibility upon yourself for stuff that we don't have control over because Mm. things are changing day by day. And even as we were going through the closure and then the reopening and all that stuff last year, I mean, there was a lot going on there. So I think, you know, when you look at resilience and adapting and facing, you know, difficulties, how do you overcome adversity, overcome stress, a big shift that I, you know, I think I took last year, like, you know, you said, were you prepared going into it? I was prepared going into it from an operational perspective, but I think I was more aware going into it just from a mindset perspective last mm-hmm. year than I was the first time, because the first time was extremely stressful. And I mean, then you're, you're rebuilding the clinic and you're getting emails in the middle of the night from contractors and your phone's buzzing. And, you know, like I get anxiety from my phone, just like <laughs> putting it on an email. So so that this time, I think it was really about, you know, that self-care, that self-management and making sure the people around you were okay. And we did a lot for our team the, the previous time too, but this time really focusing on maintaining that mental resiliency yourself. And I think that's where it's important as a leader, because we have to support those around us. They look to us for support. They look to us for um, their um, uh, agreement oh, you know, everything. Are you okay with the audio there? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm okay. Okay, sorry, my little one is uh, <laughs> wrapping around. Gets a little loud, you know. No, but yeah, so I think that was a big thing there. So just maintaining that mental, like, sort of inner game while also working on the outer game of what we need to do with, you know, taking care of the business, taking care of the people, taking care of, you know, preparing ourselves for reopening, preparing ourselves for um, what we needed to do. So 
I guess to sum that up, a big shift that I think I found in the pandemic closure versus the flood closure was being more proactive around managing what we need to manage ourselves, uh, understanding and adapting around what we cannot control, and then being proactive on setting ourselves up for success thereafter. Because even with the last time, you know, you go through the tough times, but you know there you're going to reopen again at some point. And that's where I really, you know, focused on. And even with a group of colleagues, you know, I set up a a study group at the time called Trajectory Thursdays. With uh, we were all doing nothing, so I just said, hey, let's all meet on a Thursday, and it facilitated a group of about 20, 30 dentists where we would meet every Thursday and focus on the stages that we were in at the time in terms of survival. What did we need to make sure was taken care of? What do we need to do to plan and optimize and then relaunch so that we can come out of this in a better way rather than just being stuck in the stress and the uncertainty and then all of a sudden we're set to reopen and you have, you're just like, go. You know, I, um, as I'm hearing this and I, I, one burning question that I have is, you know, how, how do you stay focused and motivated to keep going? I mean, many people who go through, you know, challenging time will say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll just resign. I'm just going to go back to an associate. Um, you know, I'm not going to worry about, you know, the, the owning a clinic, you know, somebody with your skill set. I mean, my gosh, like, you know, many dental clinics will take you as a fantastic associate who can do a lot of treatments. You know, which is, you know, for many people, uh, it's, a, it's a great career plan, you, you know, to just stay in as an associate, don't worry about the stress. How, how do you stay motivated and focused and just want to keep going? Yeah, I think in, in terms of uh, maintaining that, that real focus and motivation around all of where we want to go, uh, despite the challenges that we are going through, for me, I think it's really about um, defining um the vision of where you want to be understanding like where you're really trying to go and then creating a plan to really get there. So for me, I, I took a lot of that and I took, I think these moments come into our life to sometimes give us a, a little bit of a gut check to also redefine our vision too at times, because, you know, we get stuck in the, the hamster wheel of what we're doing in day in day out. And then we are faced with all of a sudden this big closure and you have the choice to take to say, well, do I want to, get stuck in the, the challenge here, or do I want to find some way to come out of this better? And I think that's that vision. And I, I really believe in aligning like a, a personal vision with a professional vision and a financial vision, because I think those three things are so important to that have to be aligned together because whether it's, you know, me owning a clinic, whether it's me working as a, an associate or doing anything else, we're all here to make a living doing something, but we're here to serve the life that we truly want personally. And we know we need a certain amount of money to do that. So, so I think the big thing that kept me motivated was I, I really put a lot of thought to what are those things, like I was mentioning, you know, jokingly at the start of the call here, about what fuel me, because we have to feed those, those things in our life too, because as much as you know, we all love what we do, if we get so caught up into just the day-to-day -day of it, like anything can become a job after a while and it doesn't become something that you know, fuels our passion, that we feel that same excitement about seeing patients and what we were doing when we first graduated and started working because now we're not only seeing patients, we're bogged down by 
the P&L and then the HR issues and the operational stuff and then the compressor needs fixing and that thing's not working and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very easy to, to I think, get taken away from that. So I, I call it almost like that, like that beacon of light that, you know, you have to be able to see where you're going and then keep your eyes on that. And because I, and then I, what I do is I just put a lot of focus to that because then I know despite the ups and downs, I'm still moving in that direction that I know is ultimately going to give me that life and impact and the family life and everything that I want. So, so talk to me about the discovery phase of this, you know, three piece alignment, okay, between your work, between your passion, between, you know, your, your life, uh, your family. So talk to me about the discovery, like, you know, what, what did you go through to, to sit down and say, okay, you know what, here are the things that are important to me, because I feel like, you know, um, it, the discovery phase is very hard, right? To sit down and explore, okay, what is important and what's not important. As you said, you know, we all get busy in the day-to-day, in the routine, um, right? So talk to me about the discovery phase. How did you, you know, uh, figure that out? Yeah. So um, I think uh, I'll say it jokingly, I probably a couple weeks into the, the shutdown and the pandemic, I realized I can't just sit there and keep watching Netflix all day long. <laughs> so the, the vacation was over at one point. <laughs> but I mean, I, I love learning and constantly trying to figure out ways to just keep improving and be better and, and do things that, you know, will help me to be better at, at, in any aspect of what I'm doing in my life. And so you know, a couple of weeks after the shutdown, I'd say I really kind of dove into just trying to learn more about, you know, this piece on resiliency, really. Um, I'm a big listener and reader of Daniel Goleman, and he's a, a, the guru of emotional intelligence. And he was putting on a bunch of things online around that time around like adaptability and how to understand, you know, what we're doing and what we're going through and changing that mindset. And so through that and through some other, you know, things I was reading and webinars and all that stuff I was going through at the time, I came across this really cool goal setting process called mental contrasting. And it's the opposite of what's called reverse contrasting. So reverse contrasting tends to be kind of the, the typical goal process that even I've used myself over years, which is like, you know, you're, you're here now and you want to be here by the end of 2022. So what do I got to do step-by-step to get to where I want to go? And this mental contrasting process works with your wish and your desire to start. So it really says, okay, where do you want to be? Like, what is this perfect life you want? And the the pandemic gave us an opportunity to really think about that if we chose to do so and say, hey, like, I have a time to reset now. Like, whether we were closed for weeks or whether we were closed for months, I have a time to reset and say that there's something, am I happy with the way I want my life? That's awesome. If I'm happy with how all these three pillars are aligning, great, right? How do I keep it going? If I feel I could be happier and find that happiness in something, then how do I, what is it that I really truly wish and desire? And then working on, okay, like being real enough to say as silly or stupid as it might sound, I'm going to put that wish out there. And I'm just doing this to myself, right? Like I'm writing it out. I got a flip chart and I started mapping it out here in my home office. And then uh, the second step is going through outcomes or obstacles, sorry, is, is saying, well, what would come in the way of me getting these wishes and desires and then building the plan to get there. But we're actually working backwards. So if I set out this goal at the time to say, this is where I want to be a year from now when the pandemic happened, I want to be here in, in, you know, May, June, 2021. 
then I'm looking at what does my life want to be like in May 2021. And now I'm working back from May 2021 to April to March and so on and so on. So that I know every step of the way, what is that one thing I would have had to do the month before to get me to where I want to be. And in reading about this and listening about this process more, it really, it sounds simple, but it has something to do with the research that they've done around the shift in your brain. And it's just like how you're shifting to a, a future positive state of thinking versus where you are now. And we focus more on like all the things that might come in the way versus being like, Hey, it's my vision, my goal. That's at the end of where I want to be. So that's really what uh, I did in, when, in going into the whole discovery process. And then that's where I kind of just mapped out. Here's my personal desires. This is what I want my family life to look like with my wife and my kids and my extended family and everyone. And these are the things that fuel me in terms of giving back to the community. And this is what I want my professional life to, to look like because I have ideas and I want to do these things, but maybe I just haven't acted on it yet because I, I, I always said I didn't have the time to do it. Right. Absolutely. And then, you know, financially, well, we got to all live and still pay the bills. So how do I make sure those all align so that I don't, uh, you know, drop one thing when I need to be doing something else and then later find out, oh man, <laughs> I, I can't pay the bills anymore. <laughs> yeah, so. you, you know, Amrish, yeah. this, is, uh, this is very interesting. Um, you know, uh, my wife and I, uh, 10 years ago, we were in, we were in Dubai and uh, we were sitting in a coffee shop and, uh, you know, it was just early stage of our marriage and it was like, we actually took a piece of napkin and we wrote out all our goals that we want to achieve um you know kind of over the next uh, five to seven years and the funny thing is um everything that we wrote down actually happened okay you know so the fact that you know um putting something out there i know it sounds like okay what is that but i'm i'm, I'm a you know i experienced that myself and you know I, I agree with you i don't know how i mean you know it, it it does happen it does have an impact um and 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 now me and my wife we decided to make this a habit every 10 years right uh nice. so that process works you know i have i have experienced myself and it, it does work <laughs> yeah it's cool it's like putting that intention and the i think the shift in the energy and whatever it does to us in the, our subconscious mind i think it just starts propelling things in some ways and then you all of a sudden doors open up or you're with mean exciting people or something that somebody shows you where you want to be right so absolutely yeah, so what cool. i, I want to go back to that resiliency piece right um you know is that something that you developed you know through your experiences and through um you know what you were going through or is that something was always in you um, I think a bit of both that, um, you know, I was brought up, I think in a way, uh, in my, my parents were always very, um, supportive and, and, uh, my dad especially was very much about, you know, setting goals and, and finding ways, you know, you, you put Tuesday, you put your mind to it and, you know, you'll do whatever you got to do to get there. Right. So I had this, I think, determination and perseverance, um, that was ingrained within me. And, you know, even, uh, I used to be a, uh, really serious soccer player in my early days. So luckily I didn't try to try out for the national team or go into playing for it in the world cup and decided to do dentistry instead <laughs> is probably a good choice. But I played soccer for many, many years. And I think even through that, I always remember like, you know, you'd, I'd want to be better. I want to do things. So you'd, you'd keep working to always improve. 
So that mindset, I think, helped me through these tough times, but nor did I ever think that I would go through the tough times that I have gone through in the past 10 years either, right? Like mm. having a tough soccer game is very different than losing your practice and uh, <laughs> being shut down <laughs> and going through a pandemic and, and these types of things. So that's, uh, I think there's, that's where, you know, I fortunate that I think I came into it with a, a mindset that allowed me to at least explore uh, this place of resilience. But I, I do think resilience is something that you, you make a choice to, to, to be and you make a choice to um, take on that uh, mindset so that you can get through these tough times and having that faith and, and knowing that, you know, you will get through this, like the whole thing, you know, this too will, this too shall pass. And, and it does, and it never seems like it at the time. And, but there is always some silver lining and positive thing that comes from all these things. I mean, even looking back at the flood, I mean, the amount of stuff that we learned as, as um, business owners and clinicians and what we had to do to kind of get through that. And then now looking at this past year, the amount of things that we had to learn, I mean, it, it was challenging. It was stressful. Like, I don't want to sound like I made it, made it through it, uh, you know, with no times of stress or it was easy for me. It was not easy. And I had my fair share of, of crazy moments throughout that time, but we're all human. And, but I think it's like, it's like, how do you just keep resetting and coming back to it? Right. And that's what I think I have learned over the past, uh, past 10 years, especially is like, well, we're going to go through these tough times. You're going to get through it, but then, you know, how do you keep that vision and that light of where you're trying to go so that then you can reset yourself, bring yourself back to where you need to be to get to where you want to go. Right. Absolutely. So, um, talk to me about, you know, um, the sorry there's three questions and i and i and i'm trying to choose one of them and i'm you know and i'm trying to prioritize in my head which one <laughs> so i'm gonna just pick one <laughs> so talk to me about you know the the pivot from you know running a traditional dental practice to founding a technology company you know uh, uh, times are challenging People don't have time just to to balance between work and their family, and here you are with two clinics and and a technology startup. Tell me about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think you know I, I will say like these difficult, challenging times. I think they they call for resilience, as we just discussed. But I think through that resilience mindset, that's where it can really breed innovation and disruption to make things better, right? And um, I've been, uh, you know, with uh, a lot of the stuff that, you know, even we've worked on and chatted about over the years in terms of the financial optimization of a dental practice and that kind of thing. I've, I, I think you know me as a data junkie. Like I, I love my numbers and the data and all the spreadsheets and the KPIs and you name it. So I'm, I'm always looking at like taking a look at data and saying, well, how can we look at where we've been and where we're trying to go and predict things more effectively and using past predictors to help us make a better future prediction for better outcomes and what we're trying to do. And so that's for about, you know, a year and a half, I've been kind of working with this, this thought in my head about, you know, how do we really help optimize us as clinicians when it comes to um, bridging that gap between the inconsistencies that we see with um, us as practitioners when it comes to 
uh, inconsistency in diagnosis and treatment planning and inconsistency in production abilities that they reflect thereafter. And always diving into this thing of like, why do some dentists do so well and, and some are booked out for months and some are not. And they're, they're, you know, always kind of in that sort of like week by week phase. And I think, you know, I've felt like, you know, in our profession, I think we have a, a little bit of a, what I would call a misconception around that we think we need to do more. We need to add more tools to our toolkit to be better and up our game in order to get better at what we're doing. And, and we take more courses and we do all these different things. But are we really choosing the right, you know, tools to add to our toolkit when maybe that's not what our practice really needs and our patient really needs? How do we make that decision, right? And and when we do go take this course and we do go do something, even if it's a basic fundamental CE uh, course, there's amazing, amazing courses out there that I've even been to. The problem is the implementation rates of it are so slow. It's like you come back and you're you take it, I think statistically they say it's 11% of what you learn is actually implemented into your your business, your life, or your clinical practice in our case. So we can go to these amazing courses, spend tons of money, take time off of our practice, and then learn amazing things. But when we show up back to the office that Monday and we have a crazy busy schedule and then you're trying to do one thing and you've got your assistant knocking at the door and then the hygienist saying that they're ready for a check and then your admin's asking you about some payment question, you very soon and quickly forget about all those amazing things you're excited about at your course that you wanted to implement because it's hard and stressful to do. So I started diving into that aspect and saying, well, I think there's a way to incorporate technology into bridging this gap and finding a way to how do we uh, bridge that gap and serve that unmet need in our, our, our profession and our businesses that would allow us to bring the consistency of care so that we are able to first and foremost provide a consistent level of care amongst all our our patients, uh, whether it be within one practice or all practices as a whole. And uh, secondly, find a way for us to have some real-time insights behind the treatment planning and, and diagnosis side of things. Because I I mean, I do a lot of other stuff in my toolkit, as, as I know you know, with surgery and implants and all these types of things. But I really believe it's the fundamentals of, you know, like if you don't see it, to begin with, how are you going to ever do it? So we can go take an amazing course on ortho or implants, but if you're not seeing those cases, you'll see the obvious, but how do right. we, how do we see the not obvious? Because it's the, it's our obligation and duty. I feel as a clinician and a doctor for our patients that we need to provide them with all the information, all the knowledge and, and put them as to where are they on the spectrum of their journey with us? and then empower them to make the decision to, to decide what they want to do. Right. And then we, it's executing on the treatment. I think is the easy part. Like when a patient's in our chair for a procedure, I think that's the easy piece. It's the planning that is the tough. So, so shifting really from that um, volume based model to a value based model and, and being able to be better with the patients that we have And this past year really shifted that for me because you know, it, it shows the fragility of a practice and a business that is dependent upon clients, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, it's not something that is just going day in, day out without people within your actual physical space. So how do we be better at what we do with our patients versus always focusing just on getting more people in the door? So Very interesting. that's what pivoted me into this whole uh, this uh, idea here. And so it went from an idea into, you know, 
more than that. So I started kind of with an analog uh, proof of concept to start testing and seeing what kind of things that I can put into place and seeing what the data shows and and does it show improvements in productivity? Does it show improvements in, in business growth as well? Because as a user dentist, uh, we need to make sure it also supports the growth of the business. And that's, I mean, obviously a, a, a big part of um, people would, that would be interested in adopting the solution down the road. And then um, I explored um, a technology validation with the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute uh, in Edmonton around seeing is, is artificial intelligence and machine learning an applicable solution to what I think is a problem and validated it through a user problem uh, uh, innovation lab exercise to see like, is there a true problem here? Is there a true solution or am I just thinking this in my head? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then I've moved on from there to really start building out a team of, um, of great people and advisors who are helping me to pivot and learn um, from being a dentist uh, and a practice owner into this whole new tech space. So um, getting into the development side now, I've, I'm also doing a research project with the University of Alberta Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry on uh, evaluating data and supporting as an academic validation for what will go into the development of this tool and then have a name of the company that I do called, it's called AuraQ AI. And so, yeah, so really right now, as we speak, is a pivotal moment where I'm, you know, getting it going to be soon, getting it more out to, into the, the public realm and, and um, yeah, just excited about what's going on in that technology though. Like it's, it's very cool. I mean, I think AI and technology of this sort is, is already here within our industry. I mean, it's here in so many different ways when it comes to imaging, um, lab fabrication of splints and crowns and evaluating margins and smile design and, you know, teledentistry that's happened over this past year. But the, the realm that I'm really going into is more the clinical decision support system mm -hmm. side of things. And it's cool. So it's neat to see this all. Um, I'm also a member now on the American Dental Association uh, Working Group for Augmented Intelligence, where we're creating standards um, among some of these leaders who are already in these amazing or created amazing companies already out there that are incorporating AI into into dentistry and uh, seeing how do we create standards and guidelines around incorporating this technology effectively and ethically within our industry for patients. Wow. This is, uh, I mean, what an amazing uh, solution uh, journey. Tell me, how, how do you see the dental industry changing in the next five to 10 years when it comes to technology? I think, um, you know, the use of technology as um, integrated solutions to what we do is um, it's already here and it's becoming so much, uh, such a bigger part of what we do within our practice, right? And, and so I think um, these different solutions that help us to optimize um, our businesses for one and, and increased productivity is, is there. I mean, we talk about some of the solutions that we're using from the financial metric side of things or helping with the, you know, um, recall uh, side of things and, and getting the schedule filled, all these types of things. So these are, these are already here and coming. And I think that's only going to improve um, because there's the value in automating and improving uh, people's ability to do their job and work better and the whole patient experience side of things too. So I think that's just continue, going to continue, continue to grow um, where I do see, I think a lot of this technology continuing to grow over the next 10 years is going to be in the clinical side of things too, because that's where in medicine and dentistry, these types of technologies are coming into place where there's software as a use of them as a medical device, essentially. And how do we, we validate these 
softwares to help us be better. So the term that, you know, gets thrown out, thrown around in the AI world is, you know, um, two terms, I guess, augmented intelligence and predictive healthcare. And that's the, the area that, you know, I'm dabbling in with OraQ. And I think that's, that's such a vast arena that it's only going to continue to grow. I mean, it would, you're already seeing it in the radiographic side of things. Like there are companies out there that are analyzing radiographic images within seconds and giving us um, information that it takes our minds time to process, right? Mm -hmm. So um, being able to really determine when we do a digital scan of somebody's tooth, is that truly the margin? Is that where the margin needs to be, et cetera? Planning ortho, I mean, you see it in Invisalign, right? And, right. and uh, what we're doing with digital uh, orthodontic treatment planning and aligners. So this is where I think it's just going to continually grow. I think we're fortunate in dentistry that the adoption of it, I think, will occur a little bit quicker than probably in medicine mm. because we as dentists and uh, team members and everybody in this whole industry are very comfortable with implementing and playing with different technology toys. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> dentists seem to love their technology and their toys and there's always some new gadget or something to use and something to, you know, have fun with and make us be better. So, um, and because we're private practice practitioners primarily, and I mean, there's of course the larger entities with the, the corporate groups right now, but they're still managed on a private side. We have the ability to be able to implement, um, validate, test, do all these things in a um, easier way. I think than what happens when you start entering the medical space with, you know, the, the governance and the bureaucracy around, you know, big hospital systems or health networks and, and things like that. So, right. So, I mean, this was really good insight on how you see uh, things changing in the dental industry from uh, technology. The industry is also changing, you know, with consolidation uh, and the business side. How do you see the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think, you know, in looking at the data and, and what, um, you know, the stats are out there on that side of things, I think consolidation is going to continue to a, a large degree. But I, I believe, uh, you know, from what I hear on the con consolidation side, the corporate groups are still only trying to really capture, you know, that 18 to 20 percent of the market. So there's still a large percent of the market that is always going to exist for you know, the single owner practice uh, practitioners or, you know, the group type practices where maybe there's a few owners in a practice and that kind of thing. So I think that's still always going to be our majority. I, I do see that. I mean, we're, we're blessed with the profession that we're in and the ability to be able to embark on you know, business ownership without huge financial stressors and getting the financing that we can get and all those kind of things, I think will always be there. Um, the way the corporate model is going to, I think there's there's different things that are happening because you've got the big, big corporate groups and then you've got some of the smaller groups too that are coming out that are maybe not um, as, uh, I guess, call it corporately governed, let's say, so that they still allow some autonomy to um, practice owners to be involved and they're there to really support and make them be better at what they're doing too. So I see both sides. I think, you know, there's no one perfect thing but i think that's where we're lucky that it's you know we're not going in a direction where i think the entire market is going to be corporatized anytime soon and it's always there's always a place for that you know dentalpreneur like you said that we want to be our have that own autonomy behind what we do and really drive the vision and the purpose behind our practice and 
and serve our patients in that way. I love it. Um, you, know, you know, Amrish, um, you, you know, you, you do exciting things. You run the two clinics, you have a consulting program, you are part of a startup, and you also give back to the community. Talk to me about smile, uh, cost to smile. What is that about? Um, you know, and, and what impact do you want to do you want to generate? Yeah, for sure. So uh, giving back and community contribution is, uh, has been, a, again, another core principle of mine that I've been brought up with and was always involved in some way to, to, to be able to give back to the community. And as I mentioned in the beginning of our call, those different pots that fuel our, us as uh, going forward and <clears throat> getting through, you know, difficult times. And I, I've always found whenever I'm involved in doing something where I'm giving back selflessly to the community it it fuels me and provides a passion in a way that you know other pots don't and it's not to say that that one is better or worse or something than the other but i think these are all elements that need to be filled to keep you know somebody like myself going so um you know i i uh, i when i was in dental school i founded a, a clinic there called the shine dental clinic um, that started back in it would have been about 2004 and it was a student-run clinic at the uh, run out of students at the University of Alberta Dental School, uh, partnered with the Boyle Macaulay Health Center. And we used to run a clinic every Saturday that would treat inner city youth. So it's still going today now in its 15th year of inception. And wow, that's life, amazing. Life happens. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean, the, the real uh, kudos goes to all the students who have kept it going over all these years because it's amazing to see what they've done and, and how many, I was on a call with a few of the students this week and they're seeing they see 25 patients a day every weekend there and how they're running it. And like, it's, it's amazing to see what they've done to take that going forward. So very cool. And it's like, but then, you know, life happens, right. And, you know, you get busy and we like all the things that, you know, was saying that we've gone through and I, you know, get married, I have two lovely two girls and life gets busy. And then just, you know, again, over the past year, when I was doing that sort of focus exercise that we were discussing, I said, I really want to get back and involved in this part again. And if I don't make it an active part of my life and really drive where I want to go with it, then it it's not that I wasn't doing it still, but it just becomes kind of like a, when I can put it into my schedule versus me formally actively putting it into my schedule. So that's where I said, I want to take this a step forward. I want to do something that can inspire um, giving and community contribution going forward. And so I put together uh, what is now called Cause to Smile. So that came into inception in June last year. And the whole purpose behind that was to inspire um, us doing good beyond the walls of our clinic. So it's, it's really around being an organization that can be a catalyst and accelerant for giving and just creating that momentum to keep giving. The unique piece that I'm, I'm really hoping that I can take through Cause to Smile is that I want it to be about community engagement and meaningful contribution that is fueled by the dental industry, but is beyond dental care. Because I think there's amazing things that are being done out there already, like, you know, Shine I mentioned, and so many amazing initiatives when it comes to like kindness and action and other initiatives that are happening where they are there to support need through dental care. Right. And what I, what I found too, is that, I mean, there's a, there's so many of us dentists that are doing this, in our own practices, right? Like we do, we help patients out. They need a case done that they don't have money and can't afford. And we're doing it as a, a pro bono case or something to do to help them out. So I, I wanted to, to take a different angle and say, I think there's still local need that needs to be supported. And how do we rally the dental industry together 
to be able to also support that local need from all of us, whether that's dentists, whether that's team members, that's industry leaders like yourself, um, partners and distributors and suppliers and everybody so that we can come together and support local need. So last year we, we did two initiatives. Uh, we did a blood drive with the Canadian Blood Services in, in July to help support the need that was there for blood donations. And then in the winter, uh, did an initiative with the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter and supported uh, children's winter essentials and adopted uh, families there that were in need as well. So going forward, kind of 2021 and, and forward, my uh, my BHAG or my big, hairy, audacious goal when it comes to to cause the smile is like I wanted to I, I see it, you know, 10 years from now, I'd love to see this as a North America wide initiative that has uh, local you know, chapters in you know, provinces and states so that there's autonomy behind people who want to be involved in this to be able to support local need within their communities. So it's not, you know, us from Cause to Smile telling other people where to support. There'll be, it'll be themed and there'll always be something that kind of uh, we identify as a general theme to give back, but we want it to be really locally given so that within that local community, it can really support an initiative or people that need it. And, and um, yeah, and then, so I'm excited. I, I just formally you know, a couple months ago now created a formal board. So I have five other amazing people rallying behind me now to dentists and non-dentists who have believed in the vision and supported over the past year tremendously and are, are helping to kind of carry this forward. And uh, yeah, so looking to continue doing that from there, there'll be lots of cool things to come. We're really uh, focusing right now on the strategic vision and just hammering that down so that, you know, treating it like a business in the sense that, you know, our clients are those that are in need here and how can we really have a plan and have goals set out to be able to support this. And then what I uh, will be doing then is uh, bringing this out to gain uh, members and, and people who want to be a part of this, this great movement and, and continue carrying it forward. Wow, this is a, what an amazing initiative. I mean, I, I, I like I like uh, true entrepreneur story, ups and downs. I love it. There's perseverance, resiliency, uh, innovation. You got it all. This is really fantastic. Uh, Amrish, if someone wants to um, get in touch with you, say hi, what would be the best way to uh, contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Happy for anybody to reach out, uh, any questions or just to have a good chat or a conversation in any other way about any of these things or to get involved. Um, best way is find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure, um, uh, Mohammed, you're able to probably share my, my LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, we'll have, we'll have all of that in the notes. Excellent. And I'll also provide my email and everything there for you too, so that people can reach out and, and get in touch with me directly. Perfect. appreciate your time oh thank you so much Mohammed. it is awesome being a part of this love what you're doing too and uh, really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to chat uh, to your listeners today thank you thank you thank you for tuning in if you enjoyed this episode please rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app if you'd like to learn more about shift accounting visit us at www.shiftact.com or you can reach out to me directly at Mohammed, M-O-H-A-M-E-D, at shiftacct.com.